I'm glad we're together today in this space. Uh, my name is Mark Cummins, and I'm the pastor at Church of Hope. And if you're a regular attender, welcome. So glad that week after week we join together in this space. And if by chance this is your first time, I'm really glad that we're beginning our friendship today. Uh, understand that this broadcast literally goes around the world for free. See, we believe that life's at its best when people discover hope in Christ. There are people who give generously so this broadcast can be reached across every continent. If you've never given, I would invite you today to give. You can go to our webpage, hopeinocala.com, and drop down on the giving bar and give a one-time gift. Or you can give generously beyond just today. And if God's blessed you, help us as we give hope around the world. But for now, I want you to open up your heart and your mind. Let Jesus speak to you because what I believe is that when we open up our minds and let Jesus speak to us, life doesn't become perfect and all the problems don't go away, but you experience his presence in you, with you, and for you. Open up your heart. Let Jesus speak to you today. Peace. The reason that the Holy Spirit is welcomed in this place, I'm sure you've got your own, but when you think about all the worldwide calamities and then our own pressure points, blood cell counts go up and saving accounts seem to go down. Marriages end, and then before we know it, they talk about a new pandemic starting again. You got travel ball, you got travel for work, you got a weekend girls trip, you got a guys hunting trip, you got beach trips, you've got mountain trips, we got trips all around the world. And we're wore out, we're tired. There's this edge that if we could just have one more experience, one more moment, then life would seem to get it just a little bit better for me. Stress seems like it's off the charts. People can't sleep, can't stay awake in the middle of the afternoon unless you have a Snickers bar or a cup of coffee. And it seems as though that inner storm that's inside of us that's raging is real difficult to calm down. Amazing, in 2018, even before the, the pandemic, 51% of Americans said that they're absolutely stressed out and that it takes very little for them to tip over into a constant state of anxiety. I mean, you think about it, the, the betrayal of friendships, the confusion of infertility, the political divide, cancer, chronic pain, the actions, the attitudes, adultery, all the twist-ups, messed-up, messed-up kind of human experiences we go through every single day. And Jesus knew that the silver lining of the Constitution would never eradicate 
sin. Jesus knew that the Constitution of the United States of America would not minimize the corruption and the evil that you and I see and face every single day. And certainly we all know that a gated community will not guard your heart from heartbreak. And for that very reason, Jesus stepped out of heaven and he stepped onto earth to be tempted in the very ways that we've been tempted to go through all the pressure points, go through all the stress and through all of the anxiety. He wanted to experience the pressure points of our humanity, the hopelessness and the sorrow and the injustice and the prejudice and the grief and the setbacks and the lies so that he could say to you and to me this morning, John chapter 14, I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and a heart. I know you're kind of sitting here this morning thinking, and I must have missed that gift because <laughs> it don't feel like peace of mind. The chaos and the storms that I'm experiencing. And then he says, and the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. Your 401k can't give the kind of peace I'm talking about today. Being married or being single can't give the kind of peace that we're looking at today. A four-day work week, a long holiday weekend, a trip to Aruba, all of the different things that we reach out to in this life to try to satisfy, to try to get some peace. Jesus says, the Jesus that you believe that was born of a virgin that you celebrate at Christmas, the Jesus that you believe resurrected from the dead, he says to us this morning that this world system that we lean so hard into to try to get some peace of mind, it cannot give the kind of peace that Jesus has for each of us today. So then he says, don't be troubled or afraid. And don't you wish for just a minute you could live that way? Could you just dream and imagine for a moment you walk off this campus today and you are not afraid that there is this supernatural power inside of you that allows you to walk through all the chaos all the conflicts, all the setbacks, but you are at peace. Did you notice I didn't say all the bad things stop happening in life? Jesus never said that. He didn't ask you to behave a better way. He simply said, would you trust me? Later in this whole piece, right, you got John chapter 14, John 15, then John 16. It's one long conversation he's having with his disciples then and now. Notice, he begins to define this piece. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. This is the relationship. This is the partnership between the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Both are God. All that belongs to the Father, now the Father's brought in. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. And what is he receiving from him? And what do we need to receive this morning? Here is the big idea that I hope you embrace that you tattoo on your heart, the Holy Spirit is the calm in your storm. The Holy Spirit is the calm, not a calm. He is the calm. 
little bit later, the apostle Paul was looking back at what Jesus had spoken to his disciples in John chapter 14. And so in Romans chapter eight, Paul looks back and he says this to the church. Look it. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And we get this groaning, right? There's anxiety and this fast-paced, ever-changing world that takes our sleep and it numbs our mind and it clutters our hearts. The suffering, right? The suffering that you and I, the pain that you and I experienced life would be like this, but then life is like that. Um, we thought the marriage was going to be like this, but then our marriage showed up like that. We thought the job that we took would be like this, and, and, and in between this gap, this pain, this suffering. And Paul said back then, what we're experiencing now, there is this groaning, there is this unsettledness. Is this really as good as it gets? Is, is, is this how God shows up? Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirits, even those of us who are filled with the spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies. That future moment, right? That future heavenly eternal moment, we're not there yet. That's why you had to wake up today and brush your arms and wash under your armpits because we're humans, this life, this world, isn't the kingdom of God yet. We're trying to live, making this place better and brighter by inviting his presence, praying his kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your eyes drop down to Romans 8, 26. And this really is the hope of scripture that I, I pray that we would lean into and walk off this campus with today. Look what he says. In the same way, this continued conversation, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Oh, oh, you mean I'm not supposed to fix my life? Oh, you mean I'm not supposed to work harder? I'm not supposed to behave better? I, I, I'm not supposed to pull myself up by the bootstraps? Jesus says he left the Holy Spirit because of our weakness. Jesus told the first disciples, who were eyewitnesses of the resurrection, don't you think about going out there and talking to people about me because you don't have what, it's take, what it takes. You've got to stay in Jerusalem. I'm going to send the Spirit of God. He's going to come on you and then you'll be able to step out with boldness and power because at our core, as human beings, we have limitations and liabilities. And that's not a dig on your education, your hard work ethic, how you've grown a company, all those good things that you do. But it's the core reality that if you and I would embrace the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, whatever else that you've been able to do that is successful grows and goes to a whole nother level. We do not know how we ought to pray or what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. There is this moment in our life in human, as humans. We're faced with situations and circumstances. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what to say. And the promise here is that the Spirit of God shows up and will intercede for us in those 
groans and moans that aren't even audible. They're, they're, they're not words and they're not sentences. And it's just this deep human emotion. Now, this is different. Where later we'll learn in our series about what it means to speak in tongues, a, a different language or, a, or a, a spiritual language. This is a gift to you and to me that when you're in that that place of pressure where you have no idea how do we get out of this. I remember this clearly, 1992. Linda was pregnant with our second child. We, at that point, didn't know baby boy, baby girl. I was kind of hoping baby boy, but um, God had other plans. But I remember our, our doctor called us and asked if we would come to his office. And so we did, and we sat down the two chairs, and he sat across his desk. He said, hey, I need to talk to you kids about something serious. We were in our 20s, and, and I said, okay, what is it? And he said, well, we did a test. Um, the test was known as the amniotensis. I'm not pronouncing that best. But basically, it's this test where you look at the fluid inside of the womb, and they're able to test for genetic disorders, and the doctor told us this, we have found some genetic problems. Would you want to consider aborting the baby? I had all kinds of emotions going on inside of me. First of all, I was just mad. The Marine in me wanted to say, who gave you the month? I didn't order that test. I didn't ask for that test. I didn't need that kind of confusion in my mind. And then all the gymnastics where you're like, well, you know, I'm pro-life, so that means, of course, man. man you, get, you just get slammed in a moment of time, and what are you talking about? The, the baby is going to be, what, 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 what do we do? And just flooded with emotions. We lived in a town named Brunswick, Ohio, and I remember going back and I just I, I didn't want to talk to Linda about it I didn't want to talk to anybody about it and I just went out on my own and, and I, I remember so clearly I know I was praying but I have no idea of what those words were that were coming out of my mind and what it was was the promise of Romans chapter 8 where God was telling me clearly Mark listen I got this I got you I got Linda I got this little baby as well. See, when you go to the next verse, Romans 8 and 27, it says, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people. Watch this, in accordance with the will of God. I don't know what the will of God is. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And that's your story. But when we embrace the gift of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to know. We can pray, and the promise is that the Spirit of God intercedes for us because he knows how to pray the will of God for us. He knows what God's will is. He knows what's best. He knows who holds tomorrow. I don't have to have that pressure point of trying to figure it out if I would but receive, if you would but receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and realize your weakness is not a liability. Your weakness is the revelation of the gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given to you. The Holy Spirit is our calm 
in our storm, whatever storm that you're in, or if you're not in a storm, I want you to write it down because when that storm comes, and it will, you haven't done something wrong. It's a part of being on this planet. But God has promised to give you the calm, the Holy Spirit in the storm. Notice we started with Romans 8, 22 and 23. Then I took you to 26. I took you to 27. Now we get to 28. Often very quoted in our world, but we don't understand the power behind it. The power behind, and we know that in all things works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The reason all things work out for the good is because Paul says, when you come to your weakness, you know that you don't have what it takes. You lean in in prayer and you let the Holy Spirit intercede for you. The Holy Spirit, verse 27, he prays the will of God for you. Then we can say, all things work together for the good. Why? Because it's the Spirit of God who is now praying the will of God in and through our lives. But I know what you're saying and I know what you're thinking because I think it. If all that's true, then where was God this past week in Kansas City? When gunmen reached out and took someone's life and 15 people went to the hospital. If all things work out for the good, then why do some cancer patients die? If all things work out for the good, why are there plane crashes and people die? Where's the calm in the storm there, Mark? I received a communication recently after I had sent out a social media post saying that I was going to teach on the Holy Spirit is the calm in your storm. And I received a very honest, vulnerable reply. Someone going through pain and sorrow and grief. And the idea of me speaking about Jesus being the calm in your storm felt like to that person, I was sprinkling salt on their wound. We embrace this idea, right? When, when everything's going good, when you got lots of cash in the bank, when you got two refrigerators full at your house, multiple cars, we've kind of organized our way where we kind of just organize God right out. He's on the shelf. In case we need the God genie, we can rub him a little bit and then he can show up and give us whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want it. But what I'm talking about is the reality that when you live 24-7 for 365 for Jesus, you're going to get wore out. You're going to have scars. And somewhere along the way, we came to the conclusion that following Jesus is a weekend sport. It's something we do on Sundays if we've got nothing else to do. And I want you to know that is the plan of hell. To make somehow think that following Jesus is this recreational sport that you do when you feel like it. Let me tell you something. When you're chasing after Jesus, when you're making him the center and the point, when you see your money and your cash as, as belonging to him and you're giving generously, when you're serving your time, when you're sharing your faith, when you're choosing to do what's right, when what's wrong would be much more convenient, you show up on a Sunday and you just need the Holy Spirit to be in this place because you are wore out, you are tired out, you are fatigued. This is the gift that God has given to us. 
I don't understand why some people get healed and some people don't get healed. And I'm not gonna give some flippant answer. And it's not because one person lived a better life or less sin or because someone prayed more or danced more or raised their hands more or whatever it is more. Let me just say something to you. God is God and I'm not, neither are you. And trying to make following Jesus is some type of mathematical formula that two plus two equals four. And if you do this and you do that, everything in life works out. You don't know God if you think that's what following Jesus is. Following Jesus is but by faith. We trust him along the way. We don't understand how things are happening. And because of that, there are times in our weakness, we do not know how to pray. We don't know what to do next. And so we just reach out and we need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to intercede for us, to pray the will of God so that it will be all things work together for the good. The only promise I can give you when you're going through that storm is this. Psalms 56 and eight. Here's what God says about you, about me. You, God, keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each in your book. More than ever, we need a posture as Christ followers to become desperate for the presence and the awareness of the Holy Spirit. In the good times, in the average times, in the bad times, in blue skies and the storm clouds, it's a constant daily pursuit of God. He literally becomes the air I breathe. See, it's not what you do occasionally that matters. It's what you do consistently. And the whole reason our following Jesus experience is so twisted and upside down is somewhere we thought we could follow him occasionally and it all makes sense. It doesn't make sense when you follow him occasionally. Nothing makes sense when you do it occasionally because it's not what you do occasionally that changes your life. It's what you do consistently. So waking up every day and leaning in and having conversations and listening to God because then you discover that the Holy Spirit is the calm in your storm. He's the peace from yesterday's pain and he is the hope for all of tomorrow's stress and he is the strength for today's troubles. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know where, but I am convinced that the good work that God has begun in you as a Christ follower, no matter what storm you're facing today, I know that he will complete it in and through you before the coming of Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the calm in your storm. I'm gonna give you this illustration and then I wanna show you something. And then I wanna give a space this morning to really let God's Holy Spirit have his way in our hearts. Jesus interacted with the Holy Spirit as a human. Matthew chapter three and verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? <clears throat> but Jesus said, it should be done for you must carry out all God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, let me just pause for a moment. In the second gathering, we're having baptism today. If you've made a decision for Jesus, 
and you've never been baptized, you're missing the next step. The next step is believer's baptism. If by chance you grew up in a tradition where they sprinkled you, that's fine. I'm sure there was really good intentions, but nowhere in the Bible does it say sprinkling. Jesus wasn't sprinkled. There's not one human being ever in the Bible that was sprinkled. Baptism is always coming up out of the water. They went down in the water and they came up out of the water. Why? Because the baptism story is the story of Jesus. Jesus died for your sins. As that person sits in the water, it represents them dying to their sins. As that person is taken and put under the water, and you'll hear the person say, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. Baptism is the picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And it's not a suggestion. So if you've never been baptized, there's a card in front of you. Fill it out, stop by guest services, and take your best next step in following Jesus. That wasn't a part of today's message. Just put it in play. What I want you to see next is after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. Why is that important? Because what happens next in Jesus' life? Let's continue the story. Luke 4. Then Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, not a, not a sprinkling, not a dab will do you, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. The Holy Spirit was the calm in Jesus' storm. His encounter with the Holy Spirit before he heads out, he's God. He is God in the flesh. But as he walked out into the desert for those 40 days, he needed the presence and the calm of the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna show you a video. A little bit longer video than we normally watch. And then after this video, I'm gonna come back and the, the team's gonna come back. My heart and prayer is that God's spirit does a work in you that perhaps you've never experienced before. Take a look. On February 5th, 2008, I had dinner at Coburn Dining Hall with Sarah, who is now my wife. Then I walked back to the Waters Commons because I was the RA on duty. A couple of buddies and I were playing uh, ping pong in the, in, the, in the Commons building. We were watching... I remember watching the Florida-Tennessee basketball game on TV. Throughout the day, it had been extremely warm, unbelievably warm for a February day, even in West Tennessee. One newscaster was saying one thing about the extent of the threat and somebody else, something different. So I had stayed on campus because we were, you know, on alert that things could change. The tornado sirens were going off. Um, I was thinking nothing was probably going to happen. About 7 o'clock, I had two of my friends run into the commons. They said, oh my goodness, uh, the tornado's here. We can see it. It was no longer, oh, nothing's going to happen. It was something big is about to hit. There was about five of us in the commons. 
and we went to the door to look, because what else do college guys do when they say there's a tornado outside? You go look. I was running, and Julie Mitchell was running beside me, and I heard her tell me, run, 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 run. Matt Taylor and I ran toward the hallway. So myself and, and six other guys darted into a bathroom. And so we were running back into the commons and barely got in. Uh, the door swung open from the, wind, from the wind, and Matt ran back to close the door. Um, so he was struggling with the door that would not shut. And just as I was about to yell, Matt, forget the door, come back, the windows around me shattered. And the moment we got in that bathroom was when, um, was when it happened. Um, everything went pitch black. I fell to the ground and um, scrunched up my body as tightly as I could and felt the wind swirling around me. We didn't even have time to, to hunker down. We were standing and we hugged each other and we were thrown into the room adjoining. Everything um, began to, to come on top of us. I then felt the couch, a couch that was on the other side of the room, be pulled toward me and come right to rest right next to me. I remember thinking, oh my goodness, like the couch is being pulled out by the wind, I'm gonna be pulled out as well. And then I felt what I thought was a table that had flipped over land on my back. The next thing I knew, uh, my body was crushed. It felt like we were just being suffocated. It was so fast. I, I opened my eyes and the building had gone. There, I saw the sky. I couldn't move. And I realized later on that what felt like a table that had landed on my back was actually a foot-thick concrete slab of the wall that had fallen on me. And the only reason it didn't crush me was because of the couch that came beside me. And so there was a wedge between the couch and the wall where I was safe. It had fallen all around us and it was as if God had put a pocket, uh, made a pocket with his hand. He had put his hand on that specific place where we were and Pulling up at Union University was definitely a call I will never forget. We began to scream, began to call for help. To say a pile of rubble, that was a massive mound. I would guess we were 20 feet under this pile of rubble trying to get to these boys that were trapped. Students were coming out of the buildings crying, confused, dazed. It was very obvious some of them were in shock. And uh, as we got then in through the gates there to the actual residential section, that's where we started to realize how bad it was. I remember Matt Kelly, my roommate, lying next to me, um, really, I think, lying on his back with a lot of stuff crushing his stomach. And as the night went on, he began throwing up. The parents of the students who were under the rubble in the hospital they needed to be contacted. So I remember ducking into an ambulance to make cover so we could make those calls 
which were really, really hard. They began to actually order President Dockery off campus. They said, look, we have a significant disaster. We need you in a quiet place because we think we have probably 200 dead children on this campus and you need to think about what you're going to tell their moms and their dads. The first responders were pretty sure that one of our students was no longer breathing. And I called our president. I will never forget his response. No, there is no student who is going to die. No, crying out to God, no. Don't let us lose a student. Please, Lord, no. I could look up and I could see them raising Matt out from the rubble. It was a beautiful sight. And I remember yelling out to Matt and said, Matt, don't forget about me. And the moment when I knew um, that I was going to get out was I remember this light and feeling air. Um, and I'll never forget taking my hand and, and really just punching it through what was above me and having one of the firefighters or EMT guys grab hold of my hand. They got me out, they put me on a stretcher, and they would hand the stretcher. There was a line of students, and I would be handed to student to student to student who would say, Danny, we've been here the whole time, we've been praying for you, we love you. Our first concern on every decision, beginning that night and for the next several months, was we have to care for the students. And I remember standing on a chair in the PAC saying, you'll have a warm bed and a hot meal in the morning. And I wasn't exactly sure how that was gonna happen, but I shouldn't have worried. The Jackson community came. Over a thousand were housed that evening. People responded, particularly from the churches. They were just amazing. Everyone knows how great a community union is. Every faculty and staff did something. The union will always be a very special place, and its history will always include this key moment. Every year on February the 5th, we reflect on the Lord's kindness and protection that night. I have a four-year-old daughter now, and I was telling the story of this to my daughter. And as I was telling the story, she said, Daddy, who moved the couch? And that just brought back this visual of me trying to look down onto my position in that time and imagining who moved the couch. To see what we saw when we pulled up and know that nobody died that night was, was really just, it was amazing. I know there are students who are alive today who were saved by the hand of God. There, was, there were students who were inches away. We prayed and prayed and prayed. And God did things we could not have imagined. That night has really made my salvation come alive. Just feeling that that was like Christ's hand reaching down and just pulling me up. And so now the years and months and years after that, even up until today, um, has helped me know that my need for Christ is greater than I can even imagine. I see Founders Day addresses years from now where the providence of God on February 5th, 2008 is the subject of that Founders Day address. There are students whose lives were changed. There, I think, are people in the community whose lives were changed. I know my life was changed just by going through this and seeing the power of God in redeeming things that are broken. I have children now, and, and 
Right now, my baby's too small to really understand, but I hope that one day I can tell her this story, and I'm glad that I have this experience to look back on as my Ebenezer, a story of God's kindness and provision and protection, even if um, the outcome had been different. Um, but what an awesome testimony that it was the way it was. Would you stand with me, please? I don't know what storm you've been in, what storm you are in, or what storm might come. But I know where we need to grow as followers and believers of Jesus on the southeast side. Where for the most part, your life's really good, successful, I get it. And it's easy to kind of just let God be right over here. What I know without a shadow of a doubt is God has said to us in Timothy that he has not given us a spirit of fear, rather the Holy Spirit of power. We have to once again understand that it is Satan who peddles fear. He runs a school dedicated to doubt and dread. One goal is for you to graduate with the degree M. P-A, a master's in panic attack. Corbin's gonna sing this song by Casting Crowns, Praise You in the Storm. We don't always invite people what we call down to the altar. For many of you, you're new. What does that mean? This really, it's a stage. But in our minds, we call it an altar. It's like this line in the sand where I need to have a moment with God that goes beyond the ordinary. Ordinary, you're standing where you're standing. But I know this, there's a whole lot of people in this space and online that need an extraordinary moment with the Holy Spirit. And so at home, if you're watching on the couch, you get up and find a coffee table. Go to a different room. Those in this space, if you need an extraordinary, not the normal, an extraordinary moment where you come because that storm has you in a place that you need the Holy Spirit to intercede and pray for you. You don't know how you're gonna get through this. You're not sure, will there ever be a rescue? Will it ever be different than it is? This moment, these minutes, is your opportunity to experience the extraordinary presence of God. And the only reason that you wouldn't is because you still think that you're strong enough. As Corbin sings, this space is open. I'll be down front. If you want me to pray with you, I'll pray with you. Let's experience the presence of God this morning. Thank you. Being together in this space today is really good. If you've never begun a relationship with Jesus, I'd like to invite you today to start following Jesus. It's not about your behavior. It's not about your church attendance. It's about the reality that Jesus is for you. God's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. Would you right now pray this prayer with me? Hey God, it's me. I've sinned and I know it. And I can't fix me. But today, I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior. I believe that you died on that cross for me and that you were buried for three days and then you became alive again. And I invite you into my life to guide me and direct me all the rest of the days of my life. 
And with that prayer, my friend, welcome to God's family. I'd like to continue our friendship. If you would email me, pastor at hopeinocala.com. I'll follow up with you and together we'll celebrate Jesus in your life. Peace.